The following is a CA original. The mighty sound of the South, tailgating on Tiger Lane. Each one a Memphis football tradition. This is the Tiger Football Podcast. What's happening, Tiger football fans? We are back for another edition of the Tiger Football Podcast. I'm Mark Giannato, commercial appeal sports columnist. I'm joined by Evan Barnes, our Tiger football beat writer. The Tigers coming off a maybe closer than expected 44-32 win over Arkansas State to go to 2-1 and one on the season. Uh, they are their home opener. They're back at Simmons Bank Liberty Stadium this Saturday against North Texas. An interesting game because of who North Texas's backup quarterback is, Grant Gannell. Um, but also another chance for uh, a chance for the Tigers to win three in a row and uh, really uh, set the stage for a uh, an interesting time in the AAC, um, which looks more wide open than maybe it appeared before the season began. Uh, we've got an interesting episode here for you. We'll talk about that Arkansas State game, the, what happened on the field, what happened walking into the stadium with the new digital tickets, um, what it all means now that we're three weeks into the season. Uh, and then Evan uh, has uh, an interview to get you ready for this weekend's game against North Texas. Brett Vito from the Denton Record Chronicle will join us, uh, break down the mean green. Um, and then Evan and I will give our thoughts uh, as we now move forward um, into fall for the uh, Tigers. This will be their first game in the fall, Evan, against North Texas. Um, so, we're in uh, fall already. Mark, we're in the fall already? Wow. Yeah, wow. yeah. No, Summer is over. Uh, say goodbye to those tans. Um, it's time for autumn. But, uh, Evan, your thoughts on uh, – the home opener, let's start on the field and then we can focus a little bit on um, some of the, the, the first uh, the first game in the digital t- digital ticket only era of Memphis football. But uh, what did you make of uh, Memphis's performance, a game where you know they led most of the way, trailed 32-31 with under five minutes to go, and then come out and uh, you know, really uh, respond in a impressive ma- manner to pull out a win against a feisty Arkansas State team. Yeah, I thought it was really – it was a, a strange game. It was, back and, it was more of a back-and-forth game than people probably expected with Memphis as a double-digit favorite, but I thought it was – it was a good test for Memphis in a way to show that Arkansas State was an improved team, but Memphis also – showed both some of the good and the bad that they've shown so far. Like the good, obviously, this Seth Hennigan-led offense, as far as the passing game goes, once again, got down the field with ease, um, found multiple targets. Uh, Joseph Skates had another long touchdown that was impressive. Um, I thought defensively, there are still some questions about the secondary. There are still some questions about third down efficiency, but they did improve in that area in the second half, I believe. Um, Arkansas State ended the game two for eight on third down, so Memphis was able to do its job. But there were some big plays they let get away. Um, 
they got they did keep their turnover streak. I believe now they're at eight straight games with the turnover. They got that that fumble on that fourth down where Arkansas State had two false starts. So overall, I would say the passing game was great. I would say the um the linebackers were great. I think overall that they got they survived a good test, but we still have the same questions about the run game. We have the same questions about this defense giving up big plays. Um, we still have questions about this defense getting to the quarterback. But overall, you get the win. And considering how the game started with the ticket snafu, I would say overall it was a good home opener you can feel good about. Yeah, I think I was too harsh immediately after the game. In ha- not not maybe harsh is wrong, but with time, I think the, the win is aging a little better. I mean, they ultimately, I, I was a little, I thought in the third quarter, which is the only time of the game the defense stopped Arkansas State, Memphis had a shot to really put the game away there. They wouldn't have had to sweat it out the way they did. And, you know, they got a little conservative. You know, they threw the ball so well in the first half, and then it felt like they really started uh, going to the ground game, and it worked. I mean, they gained they gained over 180 yards rushing, and two thirds of it basically came in the second half. Um, and in retrospect, I wasn't necessarily I shouldn't have been as harsh. Like I, you know, I tweeted something about them trying to establish the run too late, and you know, and, and I think I was probably a little too reactionary. When in reality, what the thing, the only play that really bothered me was the third and five in the fourth quarter where they mm-hmm. ran it up the middle and ended up kicking a field goal to go up six. And it became like a total moot point when Arkansas State went right down the field and took the lead. Um, but all in all, I thought it was a pretty encouraging offensive performance. You know, I think the defense wasn't great at the same time. They gave up 300 fewer yards than last year's defense did against right. Arkansas State. Um, and so... Um, you know, and I think if Seth Hennigan continues to play at the level he's playing at, you know, I think this team's going to be pretty good. I mean, he is playing at a really good level, Evan. I mean, I looked it up today. It's only three games, but two, you know, and one of them, frankly, was kind of a whatever game against Mississippi State. He didn't do anything wrong, but, you know, the offense just never got on track really in that game. Um, but through three games, he is number 10 in the country in yards per game. And there's yep. only two other quarterbacks within the top 10 who haven't thrown an interception like him. It's Stetson Bennett at Georgia and it's CJ Stroud at Ohio state. Um, and his yards per attempt, which is a measurement of, you know, how long are the passes that you're throwing? It's up over 10 yards per attempt, 10.2, I believe. That's up from like 8.5 a year ago. And if the season were to end today, and obviously it doesn't end today, there's a lot more football to be played. But that's a a higher yards per attempt than than Paxton Lynch ever had, than Riley Ferguson ever had, and than Brady White ever had. He's throwing the deep ball, it appears, at a much better clip than he did a year ago, at least through three games. Um it does feel like, especially these last two games, his game has elevated to another level. And so, you know, ultimately, if the run game isn't elite, you know, it feels like right now it's a serviceable run game, but probably not elite. There's not that game breaker in the backfield. 
Um, if I think you can kind of mute the importance of that if Seth Hennigan continues to play at this level. I mean, I think I think the last two games he has played it at a really high level, and they are going to be a tough out in any game they play the rest of the way if he's playing at that level. Like they can win any game on the on the rest on the schedule if he's playing at the level he's played the last two games. And so I think that gives you a lot of reason to be optimistic about what you've seen, even though, you know, it was dicey against Arkansas State. Let's be clear. You're down with under five minutes to go. You had to convert a fourth and five from your own 30 right. to take the lead. Um, but I think there I think Seth Hennigan gives you a lot of reason to be optimistic that this team, you know can be in the mix in the AAC. And you add in the fact that, you know, I think it's not just Seth Hennigan and Memphis. It's also partially the reality of what the conference looks like. Houston's lost two games in a row. UCF's lost already. You don't play Cincinnati. Um, Suddenly, the the league looks more wide open than it did previously. There's no reason, in my mind, why this Memphis team can't. I'm not saying they'll make the AAC championship game they can be in the mix for that second spot. It does. It feels like, feels like this is the type of year where going eight and four, nine and three could get, could get you in the AAC championship game potentially. Um, so uh, those are some things that, you know, coming out of the game, you know, your immediate reaction is kind of like, well, feels like they could have put this one away a little earlier, you know, feels like the defense didn't play that great. The run game didn't get going, but but I think when you take a longer lens view of it, um, you know it's shaping up pretty decent for this Memphis football team. They've looked they've looked increasingly good, increasingly better, and I think it's a function of everything around them looking a little weaker. You know, it, it, I think I think you can feel uh, good about where they're headed right now. Yeah, I think that's that that point. I think if you're looking at it from a macro perspective, I think Memphis is in a good space, not just because they're you know showing an offense that with the passing game can be really really special. We thought that they probably would be around the middle of the AAC. We would thought we thought Houston would probably be maybe the favorite to get to that New Year's Six Bowl, Cincinnati perhaps. But right now, I mean, who I would ask like who's the best team in the AAC? Maybe Cincinnati still, but Houston looks vulnerable. Um, like you said, UCF does. Tulane is, I believe, unbeaten right now. I mean, ECU, we know they're in that mix, but Memphis is right there. I mean, after after these three games, they're right there. And let's assume that, you know, these next two home games go according to plan. I still think Memphis has a good shot to be four and one going into Houston. And that's a good space to be in if you're Memphis. So I think if you're looking at everything through the big picture, it's like you're in good shape. The one loss you have is to a team that almost everyone outside of Memphis thought was going you were going to you were going to lose to. So I think yeah, everything is still looking better and better the further you get from this game. Like you said, I had questions about a lot of things. You know, I, I talked to Tim Tim Cranzy at the OC about the run game and kind of like how, what goes into those decisions as far as when you're riding a hot hand versus you know deciding to, you know emphasize the run a little bit more. But from what you said, I think that's a good way to look at it. Is that you're two and one in the AAC that appears to be down, but you have a good chance as of right now to say you're sitting pretty fine. You know, there's no team that's like separated itself like as let's say the last you know two years with Cincinnati. Yeah, no, like I said, I think I think 
I think there's a little been a little, you know, maybe like I said, I think I was a little too harsh in my immediate reaction to the game on on Saturday because the offense, you know, had almost 600 yards and um, it was just a, it was it was a couple play calls that were a little curious. But you know what? That's going to happen probably in most games. Um, and it does it does feel like they're getting better and, um, you know, some encouraging perform even on defense. You know, I thought the I thought Greg Rubin did a pretty good job. It seemed like um, a lot of new faces in that secondary. Uh, an interesting answer from Silverfield this week. Well, two interesting things if we're talking about the defense. One, I thought it was interesting. It not a lot of people picked up on it, but Tyler Murray after the game was asked about the defensive performance, and he um, he gave an interesting answer in that he said basically. Arkansas State came out and did some things they did not practice for. Like they did not, they 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 did some things they were not prepared for. Um, and that's the second time in three games you've heard something like that about the Memphis defensive scheme. Like against Mississippi State, you heard Ryan Silverfield kind of question a little bit the game plan they had. And I, I don't think Tyler Murray was like calling out his coach. He was just giving an honest answer to a question. Like he like why did why did things not go well? in that first half. And it was like, they did some things that we didn't practice for. He was just being honest. Um, so that's one thing to think about. And then the other thing was, I thought was interesting is you look at that secondary and who's actually playing. You got Greg Rubin, a true sophomore, Joshua Hastings got the start at safety next to Quindell Johnson. He's a sophomore. Um, Julian Barnett played for the first time extensively in that game. It sounds like um, that corner, that you're corner. seeing a, you're, there's a lot of new, you know, Quindell Johnson is the bell cow, but there's a lot of new faces and young faces in that secondary. Um, and it feels like how they hold up long-term over the course of this season will give us a good indication of how good this defense maybe can become. Can it become, you know, top 60 in the country? Um, Because right now, a lot of the same things they were bad at a year ago, they're bad at this year. They're bad at getting off the field on third down, and they're giving up a lot of yards in the passing game. Um, And and there's different faces in that secondary than a year ago um, in certain spots, and it's still not – totally grabbing hold. Now it's a little skewed because um, Mississippi State throws the ball a lot. Arkansas State throws the ball a lot. Um, but nonetheless, um, there's some there's some things to clean up defensively. Ryan Silverfield has said it comes down to tackling in his mind. Um, but regardless, they go into this North Texas game, once again a double-digit favorite. Um, let's get an idea what uh, Memphis is up against against the mean green. Brett Vito. From the Denton Record Chronicle, he covers North Texas. Uh, Evan spoke to him earlier this week. Let's hear what he has to say. Brett, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, man. Thanks for having me on. I don't know. Thank you. Thank you. Obviously, you're someone who knows North Texas very, very well. So I'm sure fans are going to have a lot to, to enjoy what you have to say today. So we'll start off, obviously, North Texas being a two and two at this point. Um, what's kind of the, the, the synopsis of this team right now? I know it was a tough loss at UNLV last week, but where did things kind of stand with the, the mean green? 
Well, I, I think it is kind of to be determined here. You, you look at it, and they did win a really big game to open the season at UTEP. It was a conference game to open the season. Uh, that was a big one for them. Uh, they ended up getting absolutely trounced by SMU, which looks like, you know, that's a pretty good team. Uh, they they won their gimme game against an FCS team against Texas Southern. And I think probably the thing that's kind of painful is I, I think a lot of people viewed last week in a game against UNLV as kind of a measuring stick for where they're at. And it just didn't go well. I mean, they were, you know, you say it didn't go well. By the final score, it didn't go well. But they were in that game up into, into the second half. They were only down by three in the third quarter. And then UNLV just, you know, they made a bunch of mistakes and you all, we just got on a run and ran off 28 straight. And that was a pretty tough one for, for North Texas. Cause if you remember back years and years ago, I mean, North Texas only won three bowl games in its history. And back in 2013, they beat UNLV in the heart of Dallas bowl 36 to 14. That was, you know, that was one of the great moments in North Texas history that I've covered. It was just such a huge win for them. And then, you know, you look back at it all these years later and you go out to UNLV and you get smoked. Um, and then the, the other thing I think that was tough about it is, you know, you start looking down the line, you, North Texas at this point is, you know, two and two, and you start looking down the road, uh, they're definitely a huge underdog against Memphis. And then they turn around and open conference USA play. And you start looking down the line, they still got UTSA, a really good Western Kentucky team. So I think there's just a bit of trepidation about, you know, can they do what they did last year? Cause last year they started one and six and they ended up win, ripping off five straight wins in a row, including a win over a really good UTSA team that was nationally ranked. They kind of lucked out that it was raining cats and dogs and kind of miserable in Denton that day. And they ended up winning that game pretty handily and getting to a bowl game. But, uh, you know, in that, are, you kind of wonder, are they painting themselves in a corner where they're going to have to have a, come up with another turnaround like that to get back to a bowl game? So I think there's just a little bit of concern about where they stand at this point. Definitely. And of course, Memphis fans will know that if North Texas beat UTSA, that was a team that came to Memphis last year, won in kind of the game that kind of got Memphis a little bit, you know, teetering a little bit last season. So obviously North Texas, if they have they have the capability to to get anybody. And you, you mentioned them playing SMU. I'm curious, this will be their second game against a future AAC opponent. Um, is there a mood about North Texas that they want to use this game as maybe a chance to to kind of see how they, you know, maybe stack up against the conference they're going to join in? Well, I think there's always that that thought out there. Now, I think you talk to the, the players and the coaches and things like that, and you know how players and coaches are. They're all about, you know, we're not thinking about anything more than today's practice and this week's game, and uh, Seth's real big on that. You know, he's all about, you know, probably even more so than most coaches. He just They don't even entertain anything until that week, that next opponent. He's always talking about we're going to go 1-0 this week and that kind of stuff. You're never going to get anything out of anybody there. But if you talk about, like, people in the administration and just the the North Texas fan base in general, I think they look at a lot of these games and are looking at it and saying, man, we're jumping up, you know, a competition level here. We're going to be in the AAC next year. Now, granted, a lot of the conference USA schools are going with, but – you know, you're looking, you're going to be in there with SME, you're going to be there in Memphis, you're going to be in there with a lot of other quality teams. And I think, you know, when you start playing some of these teams, as much as the North Texas coaches and players don't want to think about it, I think everybody else does looks at this, but well, how are we going to stack up in a new league? So yeah, I think after a rough game against SMU, North Texas never, pretty much never does well against SMU. I think they're but I think the, the tally now is 536 and one, something like that, 535 and one, something wow. in that neighborhood. They just never, ever, ever do well against SMU. So, um, you know, if you go out there again, 
this weekend you get really you get smoked by by Memphis after really getting hammered by SMU. I think there are a lot of people are going to look at it and you know kind of the concern level is going to rise significantly. But hey, we're jumping into a new league. We played two of those teams this year and it didn't go well. So uh, yeah, that I mean that that's kind of like the big picture thing that I don't think a lot of people inside the program are, are, are looking at, but I think from an administrative standpoint and from the North Texas fan base and people like outside the program, I think there is going to be a lot of like, how do we measure up going in talk with the way this game goes? Definitely. Definitely. And looking over North Texas, um, two things stand out to me. One, um, the run game has been very, very strong for North Texas before games. I think, I think I see that the main green are currently second in conference USA and rushing yards here. Um, what's been the key with their, with the run game being so, so successful? Well, you know, they just always have been good in the run game. Uh, just historically, you, you look back at it. I mean, and this is kind of one of those old guy, old, old guy stories. You know, you think back on the, when you've been around a place forever, like I've been. I mean, North Texas had back-to-back national rushing champions in the early 2000s. Patrick Cobbs, who's now the running back coach, and Jamario Thomas. And, you know, for a lot of years there, that was really what they hung their hat on. And the funny thing about it was, you know, they they went to this – they've been – they tried for years to get to this deal where they would change their offensive philosophy to kind of mirror what – is more as the the nature of Texas high school football. They they hired Todd Dodge, a Texas high school coach, largely because they thought he'd be able to recruit and put in the spread. That was a disaster. <laughs> then they went to Dan McCartney, and he was more of a run-the-ball coach, and they had a little bit of success with him, went to a bowl game and won it when they beat UNLV. But then that petered out. And then they hired in Seth Luttrell, who, you know, kind of ironic, he was a fullback at Oklahoma in the triple option days. And now he, was a, he built his career as a big spread guru, and he came in here, and now all of a sudden, all these years later, it's still <laughs> North Texas's strength, you know, outside of the Mason fine years for about three years there, has always been running the ball. And even during the Mason fine years, they had Jeff Wilson, who's now with the running back with the 49ers. So for whatever reason, it just seems to be in North Texas's DNA to run the ball. <laughs> and this year has been no different. Uh, they've, they've got a real good stable of running backs. And I, the thing that's really interesting about this group of guys that they've got is there's just a, a disparity of where they came from in their background. Like uh, I, uh, well, the, the one that's kind of probably the best of the bunch um, is a guy they recruited out of the out of the Arkansas high school. Um, yeah. Yeah. Arkansas high school ranks um, Oscar Attaway, the third, he, he tore his ACL before last season and missed the whole mm-hmm. year. He's back this year and he's playing mm-hmm. really well. Um, you know, real good player. Iowa Day was a guy they got as a walk-on from Harding, a Division three school, and he leads them. In, you know, he's one of their best running backs. You know, the other guy Isaiah Johnson was pretty highly recruited. You know, so they've got and Ikeka Ragsdale was a guy they got from, ironically, from Las Vegas. You know, he's a wow. really good player too. So, wow. you know, and then they've got a really good offensive line up front. They've just got a lot of uh, guys that have been there a long time. Manasseh Mose, their center, he uh, broke the school record for consecutive starts. And career starts when he got his 51st last week because he's a COVID guy that came back. So, um, you know, he, that gave him a chance to break the the record for consecutive starts and total starts. It's set by Andy Bruce, one of their really good players from their bowl run in the early 2000s when they won the conference, uh, uh, Sunbelt Conference title four years in a row from 01 to 04. Mm-hmm. And Brewster was a great player on that team. And I, I talked to him this week, actually, or last week about it. <laughs> but, uh, you know, so he he's uh, he broke Brewster's record for consecutive starts. So he's been around forever. They've got a couple uh, – one of the guards that was on that team 
now he's from town and he decided to stay home and play for North Texas, even though he had a multitude of, you know, higher level offers from like low level P fives and things like that. He decided to stay. So they just have a really good offensive line and just a bunch of running backs that are really quality players. And they really lean on those guys to try to power them offensively. So that's kind of where it stands with them. Definitely. It sounds like from, again, looking over the stats here, a couple of their running backs or they spread the ball around to them a lot. It's kind of like what Memphis was known for. They spread the ball to their running backs from 17 to 19. They're still doing it now, but they're going to get a good taste of that with North Texas. Um, I think something that struck me about North Texas, obviously, I think national people, people might notice Austin Ani, 29 years old, starting quarterback. Um, he Did he play minor league baseball? What's his story? Because obviously Memphis fans thought, they might be seeing Grant Gunnell start this game, the former Memphis quarterback who's now there. Austin Ani, what's what's his story at 29 years old? He's just a great story. And, of course, everybody's written it. We wrote it about five different ways, you know, try to figure out, hey, how do we tell this story again a new way? You know how that works. Right. Yeah, I mean, I remember when Austin was here when he was in high school, he was at Argyle, which is kind of a burb of Denton, you know, so it's just up the road. And he was a, you know, he was a really good high school player as a quarterback. And he was recruited by – you know, a lot of mid-majors and up to, you know, low-level power fives, he ended up signing with TCU with Gary Patterson over there. And he was on – He I remember when he signed and all that, and he when he committed there. And so he goes to TCU. I mean, this was forever ago, but he goes to TCU. And then the baseball draft comes up, you know, that spring. And he was a fantastic baseball player, too, at Argyle and considered really, you know, a top prospect. And the question was what he was going to do. So he enrolls at TCU. He moves into the dorm, and then the draft comes around, <laughs> and he gets taken by the Yankees in the second round. And the Yankees have, you know, they're the Yankees. They got a ton of money. They of course. Offered, of course. They offered him a million bucks to sign. And he's like, do I want to go be a backup quarterback at TCU, or do I want to get my financial future paid for here with a million dollars to go play minor league baseball? Well, of course he took the million dollars, you know, being a, a smart guy. So he takes the, he takes the million dollars and, you know, this happens to a lot of guys that go into baseball. He went into baseball and he was, you know, he, he, it just didn't work out. He, he played in, in the A level, the low A level short season. And finally he kind of topped out at the, uh, at the high A level and was still only hitting like, you know, 220 ish. He just couldn't find that level of consistency. And that's the whole thing in baseball, as you know. Yeah. If a guy like Austin, I mean, he'd go out there and he, he can hit the ball for, you know, he can hit the ball out of the yard. He can feel the position, you know, but he just never hit consistently enough to move up. So he, he, he dumped out of baseball and then he ended up, he landed in Arkansas for a short time. So he spent spring practice at Arkansas. sees that's not going to work. And mm-hmm. then, you know, he's got, he's still with his high school girlfriend or, you know, and they ended up getting married this last year. Wow. So still got the high school girlfriend back in, back in town. They're still together. So he decides, you know what, I, I'm it's not going to work at Arkansas. I'll just go home. I'll enroll at North Texas. So he enrolls at North Texas, and you think, okay, well, is this guy going to work out because he's been out of football forever? Well, he stuck with it when Mason Fine was there. You know, he's kind of your practice squad guy, <laughs> backup guy, whatever. And he kept hammering away, hammering away, hammering away, and he ended up winning. The, he ended up battling for the job the last couple of years. Uh, you know, won the job, lost the job, won the job, lost the job. And then finally this year, he had to battle three transfers, including Grant Gannell, who came from Memphis, and a couple other guys that came from uh, – one guy came from Louisiana Tech, one guy came from Abilene Christian, and they battled through the offseason, and Austin won the job. And it's kind of hard to not um, respect the guy for what he's done, because not only is he married, he's got a daughter now. They just, wow. had, a, they just had a little girl um, – 
late, I think it was early last year. So, you know, he's doing, he's changing diapers and taking care of the kid. And we got the wife at home and all this. So he's just a different cat, you know. Wow. But the thing I really respect about Austin, it's not only his perseverance to kind of stick through through all this, is I when I look back at last year, you know, they started one in six and they won five straight games. Now, there was a whole lot of reasons that North Texas won five straight games. They're largely, they leaned on their running game. They decided they were going to go away from what they'd always done, which is spread passing game. They're going to run the ball. But I think a lot of what the, the success that they had was just the leadership that Austin provided as an older, wiser guy that got all those guys together and say, hey, we can do this. Nobody is going to believe in us but us, but we can do this. And he made, you know, they went through and they won all those games in a row, and it largely because of their running game. But he made a bunch of big plays in that in that streak there to help them get those games, help them get those games won. You know, he went, you know, hit on some big passes, made some big conversion runs on third down and stuff like that. And then, you know, I, through the offseason, he was clearly the best guy that they had hmm. um, until Grant came in over the summer. Now, there you could debate, was Grant a little bit of a better option? Was Austin a little bit of a better option? I thought Austin was a better player. Hmm. So they ended up going to Austin. And he's, you know, he's had, he's, you know, he's performed pretty well. I mean, one of the bright sides of the UNLV game was, uh, you know, he threw for 305 yards and a couple of touchdowns. Now, granted, he tossed a couple of picks too, but mm-hmm. I think it's kind of hard to fault the guy for what he's done this year at, the, at this point. Could he be better? Sure, but I think he's done a lot of good things so far. Very interesting. It sounds like, you know, it, again, you see somebody 29 years old, you're like thinking that guy's like pops or dad or, you know, Papa, whoever on the team, you know, but it sounds like he's got a really, really cool story. And I think it's going to make an interesting uh, dynamic for, for, for Memphis. Obviously you mentioned the O-line being older, got an older quarterback. Um, it should be an interesting game besides obviously the, the subplot of Grant Gunnell coming back to the city. Um, Brett, I really appreciate you t- coming by to talk to us. I could ask you, I feel like I could ask you some more questions. You're a great storyteller, but we'll be here all day. So um, hopefully we'll see you up here. But thank you so much for talking to us about North Texas. It should be a fun uh, AAC preview, I guess, right? Oh, sure. Yeah, it will be. Yeah, I'll be out there on Saturday. I'm, I've been to every freaking North Texas game since 2003. So I will be there again and we'll see how this one goes. But uh, enjoy talking with you and thanks for having me on. Awesome. Thank you so much, Brett. Thanks to Brett Vito of the Denton Record Chronicle again for uh, giving us the lowdown on North Texas. Evan, your immediate reaction to what Brett had to say about North Texas and and what what the Tigers are up against. Yeah, um, I think the one thing that I was kind of surprised at was just you think of North Texas being this spread offense that just throws the ball around. And I think Brett brought up a good point that this team, you know, thrives on the run game. I mean, they're a top 25 or top 30 rushing offense right now. They're second in the conference, you would say. They have a lot of, you know, solid running backs. So it almost feels like this is a team that's balanced to do whatever it wants. And then you look at their offensive line being so experienced, I think it's going to be a good test for Memphis to show again that they can, you know, be effective stopping the run. And so I thought that was interesting. And then, obviously, you know, you look at this North Texas team this is kind of an AAC audition for them, just like they when they played against SMU. Like, I think, you know, Brett said that, you know, the, the team is trying to downplay it and keep focused on this is just the game that matters for the week. But I think for them, they understand that this game is another chance to see where they measure up against a team that they're going to probably see a lot more of during the, during the conference after next year. So I think it's going to be a – I don't know if it's going to be a statement game, but it sounds like North Texas expect a lot of run, expect – you know, an experienced quarterback with Austin Ani, who is 29 years old. I mean, 
Gosh. The oldest, the oldest starting quarterback in college football. I think the oldest starter in college football. Yeah, yeah, we're we're gonna see some experience on this side, on on that side. So uh, it's gonna be a very interesting matchup. But definitely, it feels like they understand that this game is a chance for them to kind of measure up against a team they're gonna be seeing over the next few years. Yeah, two fascinating. I guess I don't know. If sub one's a subplot, and one's just a interesting you know note if you will this is the first time memphis and north texas have played since that in for tiger fans famous 2003 new orleans bowl appearance when the tigers finally made a bowl game again it's you know you talk to true blue memphis fans you know a lot of the people listening to this and they'll tell you that's that's one of the most important games in program history um you know, it's not as big as the Cotton Bowl was, but for in terms of bowl games Memphis participated in, might be the second biggest bowl game Memphis has ever participated in, given the given what it what it meant. You know, after you know because the program hadn't been to a bowl game in so long, so many people went down to New Orleans for that one. Mm. Um, but so this is the first time North Texas and Memphis have played since then. Um, and obviously, as you mentioned, they're going to be in the same conference. And then the other subplot in this is that North Texas is where Grant Cannell transferred to. Um, as you mentioned, Austin Awney is going to be is won the starting job, which means, you know, unfortunately, Grant holds the distinction of uh, he couldn't win the starting job at Memphis ultimately because he got beat out by the first true freshman to start an opening day. In uh, or an opening game in in Memphis history, and they got beat out by the oldest quarterback in college football. So um, you know, it's uh, and it's like honestly through no fault of his own. It sounds like he's a pretty good quarterback. He just you know the injury you know the the injury at Memphis really derailed him. And that, that's what's fascinating about all this is it could have been awkward. Evan, I have a column up at commercialappeal.com that that details this. You know, like if if Hennig, if if Gannell comes in here as North Texas's starter going up against Hennigan and North Texas and he outplays Hennigan and North Texas wins the game. Like that's an awkward look for the Memphis football program. But the reality is it's not awkward at all because of how well Seth Hennigan's playing and the fact that Grant Gannell didn't win the starting job at North Texas. He's not expected to start in Saturday's game as far as I know. Um, and so, uh, it all worked out. It's, and it, it does make you reflect on, you know, like how crazy this whole thing went based on what you expect, how you expected it to go. When, when Grant Gannell transferred here from Arizona, it was assumed this is, this is Brady White's heir apparent. This is the guy who they're going to have replace Brady White. And as recently as probably the beginning of August, 2021 you still thought Grant Gunnell was going to be the starter you know he came out of the spring that year as the starter or as number one on the depth chart and then obviously he gets hurt in training camp last year Hennigan is a surprise starter on opening day last year and he does you know and he has a great freshman year and he's having an even better start to his sophomore year and you don't even think about what if because like it's hard to imagine Grant Gunnell being better, doing more than what Seth Hennigan's done in 14 career starts. But, like, it's a credit to Ryan Silverfield that he 
made it appears the right choice and that, you know, they recruited Seth Hennigan like that. Their quarterback situation was good enough where they could they can lose Grant Gannell and not feel bad about it ultimately because they have Seth Hennigan. And it's, you know, how it worked out is really fortunate for Memphis. I mean, ultimately, it could have this could have gone sour. You know, you know, this working out the way it did was not necessarily a likely scenario, but that it has now, you know, I think it's the, you know, it's the biggest reason. If you if you're bullish on Ryan Silverfield, if you feel like this is going to work long term, like the biggest reason why is Seth Hennigan and and the choice that Ryan made and them moving forward as he put it putting their chips all in with Seth Hennigan. Um, and so it's a nice, it's an interesting subplot that would have been frankly juicier if, if Gunnell was the starter, but nonetheless allows you to kind of reflect on, on, Hey, like Memphis, Memphis has now had four awesome quarterbacks in a row. It's remarkable. It really is. They've had four awesome quarterbacks in a row. It is, you know, and it's, there's no bigger reason. You know, I know, you know, there, it, to me, it's as big a reason as, Fuente and Norvell for why the program is where it is compared to where it was a decade ago. They've gotten the quarterback position right four times in a row now. Yeah, I mean, think about the odds of that. I mean, you're talking about like when you hire coaches, you hope to hit on a great coach, one hire, maybe the next hire. You admit that you're probably not going to have three or four, but like to have four straight quarterbacks who have, you know, gotten off to the start they have, it's it's been a good sign for Memphis and a good sign of where the program is going that, yeah, if you want to trust Seth Hennigan, you feel pretty good about that. And so what I've loved this to be the great duel between Seth Hennigan and Grant Gunnell, yes. But the fact that it's not, it doesn't take away from the fact that Grant's going to obviously, you know, likely be the starter next year at North Texas. And Seth Hennigan right now is the guy who's got this offense moving for, um, from Memphis. So overall, you can play the what if game, you can wonder, but really there's no reason to, like you said. I mean, I didn't I haven't thought much about it, you know, really since Grant left. And that's not knocked against Grant. That's more about like, hey, it happened. You can wonder, but the proof is in the pudding. You look at what Hedingham's doing right now, you say, All right, if you can keep this up, it'll be less of a discussion. And if you're Ryan Stillfield, you hope that's the case. So yeah, it's it's definitely interesting to think about how everything has played out over the last, what, two years now? I mean, let's just be real. Maybe it's because he came in late. He couldn't beat, like, a 29-year-old, like, you know, like a Disney story, essentially, like like at North Texas, you know, ultimately. I think that vindicates it a little bit, too. Like, ultimately, he's not even the starter at North Texas this year. And so, um, you know, I shouldn't denigrate him too much, you know. Like, who knows? It, it sounds like it's bad luck for him, ultimately, um, in a lot of ways, yeah, but we'll here, here we are. It's a, you know, it's a, it's another game Memphis has where time will tell. Yeah. It, it's another game where Memphis, you know, like I said, double digit favorite, there's a game you should win at home. Um, and you can really start to build some real momentum for this season. Um, you know, you'll have three wins in a row if you can take care of business. Um, and you can really, uh, Start to, you know, then you get Temple, a team that, you know, is looks like it's going to be one of the worst in the AAC at home the next week. You can really build to that Houston game. Um, so uh, we shall see. This will be a new type of challenge. It's 
similar in that to Arkansas State in that it feels like North Texas is much better offensively than defensively. But whereas Arkansas State, as you pointed out, Evan, attacked you through air, North Texas is going to attack you more on the ground. Um, so we'll see how the Memphis front seven holds up against a traditional rushing attack. They face the Navy attack. Um, but uh, I expect... Personally, I think we're going to see Memphis sort of hit its stride in this game. That would be my guess on both sides of the ball. Because um, I think I think Arkansas State was better than North Texas, personally. I know the line was bigger for the Arkansas State game, but um, that's what my gut tells me um, when I look at these two teams. So uh, hopefully Memphis can take care of business. Some of those new weapons like Caden Priestcorn and Joe Skates and Jay Ducker will continue to uh, flourish, um, and the Tigers can get another win at home. What? How do you see this one going, Evan? That's how we'll wrap things up. Yeah, I think it's, it's going to be really interesting. I think it's going to be another game where Memphis can't look past. In Memphis, they won't, but I don't think Memphis fans can look past North Texas. I think they're going to come in fired up. They obviously want to impress. I think it's going to be a nice tight game a little bit for a while, but I think North Texas defense, as you said, the stats don't bear out very well for them. They've given up a lot of explosive plays just like Memphis has, um, but more. And so I think uh, it'll be a fun game, but I do see Memphis with its new playmakers coming alive. I do think Memphis um, finds a way to give fans some hope, 2.30 games, so it'll be a nice warm day out at Simmons Bank Liberty Stadium, so I think it'll be really cool to see. So I think Memphis comes out with the win, but I also think It'll be a game that's a little bit, little tight, but I think Memphis finds a way to pull it out again, just as it did against Arkansas State. All right, Evan and I will be there at Simmons Bank Liberty Stadium, 2.30 p.m. kickoff on ESPN Plus. Memphis, North Texas uh, should be a fun one. Make sure you're checking out all our coverage over at commercialappeal.com. Till next time, I was Mark. That was Evan. Uh, enjoy the tailgate. The Tiger Football Podcast is a production of the Commercial Appeal.